Business Minds, presented by the Florida Business Journals, and brought to you by Tico People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy. In this episode, the focus is on South Florida's tech startup scene, as Editor-in-Chief Mel Melendez welcomes Michael Rangel, co-founder and CEO of fast-growing fintech, Novo. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for joining us on Florida Business Minds. We're excited to have you as a guest today because Miami's tech scene has just exploded over the past few years. So who better to talk to our listeners about the tech gains taking place here than the head of a local startup that's recording major gains of its own. Now, you are the co-founder and CEO of Novo, a Miami-based fintech company recently valued at $755 million after completing a $125 million Series B funding round. Now that landed you on that prestigious crunch basis emerging unicorn board, which tracks private ventures approaching 1 billion valuation. So congratulations on that. That's very exciting. Thank you so much, Mel. Yeah, we're really excited about the bright future ahead. So can you chat a little bit about the genesis of Novo and what inspired the concept for the business? So moral of the story, the way that kind of Novo came about, it, really, believe it or not, had its roots in Miami because both myself and my co-founder Tyler had our roots in Miami. I was born and raised in Miami. I grew up in Miami. I met Tyler in Miami through mutual friends at the University of Miami. My first finance job was in Miami, graduated college and worked in Miami for a few years thereafter. So it was always like Miami, Miami, Miami through and through. And then when Tyler and I started getting closer over the years, Tyler is my co-founder and CTO. He is the smartest guy I've ever met on the planet by leaps and bounds. And I've met a bunch of really smart people. And we kind of started getting closer and closer because from our own perspectives, I'm kind of like the finance and operations guy. We saw a massive problem, like a, like a mega problem in small business banking. And what kind of like led us down that rabbit hole. So I, I have a finance background. I worked as a as the head trader at a large money manager down here, Fairhome Capital for a while. And although it was large by assets under management, it was very small by employee count. So we were managing in excess of $20 billion, but we were only like a little bit over 20 employees, right? So very much the SMB nature through and through. And what does that mean? It means that People are wearing multiple hats all the time, right? Like you don't have specialization there, right? You need a lot of generalists. And that necessitation of a lot of generalists means that you have your hand in a lot of different pots. So although I was the head trader, I was working with accounting and banking and compliance and research and this and that and the other thing, right? One of the thousands of times that I was working with accounting to reconcile my trades Right, I would have to download the reports from the bank portal into Excel, manipulate it in Excel, super manual, time-intensive, error-prone, and then either hand it back to accounting or upload it somewhere else. And that very simple like nature and habit, although for me it was kind of like second nature, right? Because like I could do anything with in Excel with like one hand and my eyes closed. Like that's what led me down the rabbit hole of my life of like, what about everybody else? This seems like a very inefficient process. Like it seems like a lot of this stuff can be handled 
unimaginably, or at least it should. And then that's what sent myself and my co-founding tired down this rabbit hole, kind of doing all that research on what are the problems and SMB banking more specifically. And the leading cause for business failure in small business in America is poor cash management. And it's like, huh. Like, yeah, I get it. Like that, that makes sense, obviously. But like there should be an, almost like an infinite number of tools to help people manage their cash, right? Because it's effectively just a data problem. Right. So you have a lot of data somewhere and you need something to synthesize all that data to bring helpful insights to the small business owner. But back in the day, like that hadn't existed. And I would even argue that it still doesn't exist all that much because there's a massive delta Right between like the QuickBooks of the world, which the vast majority of businesses in the U.S. don't use because it's like learning a new language, right? Then there's like Excel, which is like manual and error prone. And then what really was like the catalyst for us diving in was there is a large cohort of U.S. small businesses that just don't do anything. And that was like one of the most shocking things that we had ever learned. And they just hope that there's cash in their account at the end of the month. And if there is, great, they keep the lights on. If there's not, then there are obviously other problems. Okay. But like I'm talking like tens of millions of businesses are just, you know, if there's cash in the account, great. If there's not, you know, they'll cross that bridge when, when they get there. And it's for Tyler and I, we were like, man, like this is the economic engine of this country. Like, this is what pushes the country forward, small businesses. They always have and they always will, right? Like, how are there not tools to help this move forward? Okay. All right. So that sparked the idea then for Novo. Now, you were in New York at the time, right? I think you founded Novo in 2016, but you relocated the business here in mid-2021. So what precipitated that move? Only from Miami. So was that always part of the plan? So it's actually a great little uh, story. I'll unpack uh, quickly for this podcast because I think it's kind of funny. We were in Miami prior. I moved to New York in 2015 as I thought an MBA was going to be my next step. So I actually lived on my brother's couch in Hell's Kitchen for about six months while I was taking classes at Columbia prior to enrolling in an MBA. And during that same time, Tyler and I were both talking about potentially launching this thing together. And then there was this juncture of like me talking to the professor and me saying that, hey, I'm on the fence. I, you know, I'm seeing kind of what the MBA is all about, but I really want to launch a business. And I don't know which one I take because obviously an MBA is incredibly expensive, right? And this guy just shot back at me. He goes, Michael, off the record, don't tell anyone I ever told you this. Don't get your MBA. Take that money, start a business, partner with someone to launch something. You'll learn way more and meet way more people than you ever would in the classroom. And so about a week after that, I reached out to my current co-founder, Tyler, and I just said, listen, man, I've got some money saved up, my proverbial MBA fund. I said, let's just do this. Let's dive in 24-7. We're not going to pay ourselves, but like, let's just hopefully before the money runs out, we're able to build something and then, you know, we'll be able to raise money thereafter. My only caveat to that deal, though, however, was it couldn't be in Miami. Because this is back then. This is 2015. Remember, this Miami was a very different beast back then. And I have a relatively unique perspective because I was born and raised here. Right? Like, when you're building a startup, it is an uphill battle, to say the least. Right? I think Elon Musk said something pretty wild. Like, building a startup is like standing on the edge of a cliff, 
staring into the black abyss while chewing on glass. Right? Like something like absolutely ridiculous like that. It's such an uphill battle. It's like antithetical to like everything humans are like put on this earth for because you have to sacrifice everything. And there are so many problems you have to deal with. It's like the last thing I wanted was to deal with like geography, geographic location to be like another kind of like red flag for an investor or something. So it was beginning of 2016 where we founded the company. And I told Tyler the only way I was going to do it was if he moved up to live on my couch in New York City in my one bedroom apartment where I was with my girlfriend at the time, who is my now wife. And that's kind of how the Novo story started. Um, fast forward to today, it was actually never planned to be a quote unquote Miami-based company either. Right. But some, you know, something that we always say to each other, right? It's like that that common uh, use saying, like it's it's better to be lucky than good. Right? That's kind of like how Miami happened. Because we in early 2020, right, it was myself, Tyler, my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, and his girlfriend at the time, who's his now wife, all splitting what? A one-bedroom apartment in Manhattan with a single bathroom. And this is February of 2020, before the lockdown happened. I said, hey, guys, listen, like, no offense, but I don't think, you know, we're going to wait out this global pandemic in this, you know, shoebox of a place without any sunlight. And so both my wife and Tyler were like, what if we just go back home? Like we considered Miami to be home. So we came back home, but we had no idea how long it was going to be. We literally thought it was going to be a few weeks and then we would go back to New York. Well, we came to Miami and then fast forward to now, right? All of those, you know, just once in a lifetime opportunities all kind of just ticked and hit and the mayor and all of this stuff and everyone moving here and the ecosystem growing. And then it was like, early to mid 21 where we were like right place right time like i think this could be hq and this could present a huge opportunity not only for us but also for miami and one of the other things right so not only that not only the people not only like my background and tyler's background but also miami is a melting pot of small business Mm -hmm. right like it is in the top I think the, the latest Kaufman ranking ranked in number one or number two in the entire United States of America. Like that is wild. Yep. Um, so a lot of eyes are on Miami now for sure. And we're definitely here for the long term. And we're really excited about it. Well, we're excited to have you guys here as well. Now, when you moved here, the company was backed by less than about five million in investor capital about it. My numbers are right. But you've secured, I'm like, I think total, we're up to about 170-some million dollars of equity capital that we've raised. That's amazing. Justin's uh, 2021, at least the bulk of it. So mm-hmm. why do you think that is? I mean, it's a confluence of many different things, right? Like 2021 was a massive growth year for Novo. I'm talking massive growth year from like our business. We went from... Now, end of 2020, I believe we had about around 20,000 small business accounts on the platform. Like, don't quote me on that, but like something within that realm, about 20,000 small businesses on the platform. Fast forward to now, we're like around 200,000, right? Like that is a lot of That's growth. Amazing. And 2021 saw a lot of that growth in a very compressed time period. 
So that was kind of like the catalyst or the catapult, if you will, for us raising a bunch of money back then, because we also have a pretty differentiated business model on the back end as well, which made the economics work way better to our favor. But that was kind of one of them. And then obviously the market overall was very different than it is now. So a lot has been written about how fintech companies gained a lot of traction during COVID-19. What factors do you think helped kind of fuel that growth? Great question. And I I think it's a few, especially for like our business. It's pretty interesting, right? Because if you were to look back at like when we raised our seed round, there were a pretty consistent line of questioning. Why would you guys ever be able to compete with an incumbent? Why would anyone ever switch over from Wells Fargo, Chase, City, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? And really the common, the most common answer that VCs would say, right, is like, well, you know, like it's, it's a pretty sticky situation because I'm sure consumers that, you know, when they're scared, they will rely on incumbents because like when the proverbial hits the fan, the incumbent will have their back, right? All of that was out the window in 2020. Think about it. Why? Lockdowns. Don't leave your house now. Don't leave your house for anything. Guess what? A lot of the incumbents, even back then in 2020, okay, the majority of incumbents didn't have online account opening for small businesses. They did not. So think about that. You're being told to not leave your house, so you can't go anywhere. But banks are saying, oh, no, you still have to come into a branch to open up a small business checking account. I actually have a story from a Novo customer that was told by one of the biggest incumbents that she had to go into the branch to physically sign documentation during the height of the pandemic while she was pregnant. And she obviously did not do that. And then she ended up becoming a Novo customer and was amazed with like the onboarding and all that stuff. That's kind of piece number one. So then almost automatically, like the whole bank branch model is out the window because people are like, oh, Oh, wait, if I can't even access that when like this stuff is bad, like, do I even need that ever? I don't know. And then number two is like when the proverbial hit the fan, right? The proverbial hitting the fan was what? PPP. All of the SMBs in the world were scared out of their minds. The government saying, go to your primary banking institution and they will have your back. Well, guess what happened there? I believe it was Bank of America and a few other incumbents said, if you do not have a checking account and some sort of credit product with us, you are not able to secure PVP funding from us. So you could have had your business Bank of America for 20 plus years, but you only had a checking account and you could have been a great customer. But if you didn't have a credit card or some other line of credit, you would have not secured PVP funding from you. Think about that. Right? So that concept of they will always have my back also went out the window. Those two things were like the linchpins that they had gunning for them. And then it was quickly kind of like taken out. So I think that was a large catalyst as to why fintech adoption really outpaced everything else. And then you have just everything, right? The more general tech environment and tech adoption, e-commerce adoption, all of that stuff really heated up. Now, I think it's also a double-edged sword because you're seeing now that like maybe it heated up a bit too much because now things are starting to correct on the other side. But as far as like consumer sentiment is, I don't believe that is ever going to, uh, to reverse. Michael Rangel joining us. Next, his take on the impact of tech relocations to South Florida. 
as Florida Business Minds continues. People's Gas. Through its innovation and infrastructure investment, People's Gas has maintained safe and reliable delivery of natural gas to homes and businesses since 1895. More about People's Gas at the heart of Florida's energy at floridasenergy.com. Now, as you know, South Florida definitely benefited from many companies relocating here since the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, including Novo. As someone who was part of that migration, what do you think these relocations have meant for the tech scene here and the overall economy? It's a loaded question. Because, uh, like, I have so many like different ideas that just jumped into my head, right? Like, but the first word that comes to me is validation, mm-hmm. right? Like, once again, like I was born and raised here, and you're always sold this idea of Miami is this thing. It is the nexus to Latin America. It is the tech powerhouse of Latam. It is whatever it is, right? And as I grew older and as I got more experience and as I worked and as I networked and as I met other people in the space, I was like, yeah, no, like I, man, like I, I don't think it's that actually, right? But now it is tangibly different, like almost the polar opposite. And I mean that with like, like every ounce of my being and I'm not making that up because I have a very clear depiction of like where Miami came from. Like the things that are happening now are just so impressive to me. And obviously I'm I'm slightly biased, but like the founders networks that are here, the the quality of founders that are moving here, the quality of investors that are moving here, the quality of just different conversations that are being had. I'll never forget. I actually had a, breakfast at this place right off of Brickle near our office called B Bistro a few months ago. And there were, I'm not even joking now, there were four different tables with VCs at them. And I knew that because they were all wearing like their VC swag. That has never happened in Miami before. That is very cool. Definitely. Now that the world has kind of returned to a semblance of normalcy, with more people returning to work in the office, do you think that's going to slow down the trend of companies that are moving here? Or have we gained enough attraction to see that continuing? The short answer is I don't know. I'm not sure anyone really knows, to be honest. That said, I know that we're here to stay. And I know that there are a bunch of others that are here to stay. So I don't think we're at normalcy yet. Because obviously, like the current kind of like macro situation is going to continue pruning the tree in a lot of ways, in more ways than probably any of us really know. But like when we get on the other side of this thing, that's really going to be when we're all going to kind of figure out the sustainability of Miami. That said, I think there are a few other data points that are really interesting. The openness to moving to Miami is at levels that I've never seen before. Right like moving out of whatever, SF, New York, et cetera. Like people are more open to move here than ever before, which is really cool. Number one. Number two, as I said in the beginning, like my one requirement to my co-founder was like, cool, we can't do this in Miami because I believe that it will be the biggest red flag for investors. Another high-flying Miami startup. That is out the window as well. More investors are coming down here. Now actually investing in a Miami startup is almost... I don't want to say this directly, but it's almost like an indirect value proposition for investors. 
right? Because now they come, get to come to Miami for board meetings a couple of times a year. Like who wouldn't want to do that? Right. Right. Especially now, right? Like my board, I have a board meeting in a few weeks. Some of my investors are from the Northeast. It's a nice break. And just kind of like the community overall is really developing and changing um, to something which benefits everyone, startup founders, investors, and just employees overall. And like those are those things are still kind of like on the early revs though, right? Like those things still need to mature and grow over time, but I'm very bullish. Now, in your estimation, what makes our tech scene different from other areas like Silicon Valley, Boston, New York, Austin, or even Tampa, which is in Florida? I've seen all of those ecosystems minus Tampa. I haven't really spent much time in the Tampa ecosystem, so can't really speak to that necessarily. The thing I'm going to say, though, which kind of sounds weird and just came to me right now, is like, what is the main difference is warmth, no pun intended. And I mean warmth both by the people here and the welcoming nature of the people here and obviously the weather here. The people here, it's just, it's like a different breed. And I've heard this from many people who have moved here, just like this sense of community is very different than the likes of like New York and SF. Those areas, you're way more secluded to whatever like your own proverbial vacuum might be, whether it be your own company or what have you. Whereas Miami, it's way more warm and open and like, cool, let's get together. Let's get together and move this thing forward. Whether I'm a startup, whether I'm an investor, whether I'm anything in between, people always kind of want to, and I think it's just like, this mentality of like, maybe it's the weather, maybe it's the quality of life. Like, I'm not totally sure what it is. People just, I believe, behave differently than in some of those other places. And they're more open to work together, collaborate together, stuff like that. That's great to hear. Now, many of the top executives that moved here during COVID have kept their teams elsewhere. So the workers that kind of help contribute to the local economy aren't here. And some say that's because we still don't have the highly skilled workforce to fill these jobs. Do you think that's true? I'm like, what needs to happen to turn that around if so? Yeah, that, Mel, is like the, I'm not even going to say the million dollar question. It's like the billion or trillion dollar question, way above my pay grade. But I, I agree on a few different dimensions. But I believe the only thing that will fix it will be time, right? Because like markets, the educational kind of system lags behind everything. Like it is one of the more slowly moving industries that exists as far as like equipping talent and the new generation with the adequate tools to fill some of these jobs. That said, so like there's going to be a whole kind of like retooling that's going to need to happen there over the years. Let me actually approach this from a slightly different direction. I believe that one of the trends of Miami historically is go to college or you graduate. Probably the top X percent of the class are probably going to move out. They're probably going to move away, whether it be to another metro area, New York, Chicago, West Coast, whatever, because like that is where opportunity is for a lot of those types of people. I believe that is changing significantly or has changed significantly. So that is good. Right? And that's one of the reasons why I also want to invest heavily in Miami, because I want this to be a place where my kids 
don't have to leave. They can leave, obviously, but like I don't want them to think that they have to leave. And so like that takes a lot of time to build and change the demographics of the workforce, of the opportunities, of all of this stuff. And so I believe that it's going to be a few things. It's both kind of like creating more jobs here, bringing people from elsewhere here. It's like history doesn't repeat itself, but it definitely rhymes. Similar things were happening in New York back in like the late 2000s, right? Where it was just Wall Street and tech was starting to come in, but you had to bus in a lot of that tech talent because it was still primarily where on the West Coast. So you have to transplant a lot of that. And now they obviously have a very budding, you know, technology scene. I believe we're in the early innings of that as well. And we've got a lot of stuff. We've got a lot of stuff kind of like in our favor. So it's kind of like our, finally our time to shine and really grapple with being the tech ecosystem in the Southeast. All right. Well, thanks so much, Michael. Um, you know, you provided a great perspective as, as a Miami native who's back in town, you know, and helping improve the area. So congrats on all your success and I'll see you soon. Great. Thank you, Mel. Thank you so much. Thanks again to Michael Rangel for joining us. And thank you for downloading Florida Business Minds, presented by the Florida Business Journals, and brought to you by Tico People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy.